Prepare to experience the strongest radio allowable by law. Secrets will be revealed. Myths dispelled. From the studio gym where excuses never apply. It's Superhuman Radio with your host, Carl Lenore. I don't know. I'm going to have to change that intro because I've had nothing but excuses uh, since I've been getting back to the gym after my COVID-19 shutdown. But that'll change very shortly. Um, We have a really fascinating show today about a protein study. And I promise you it will be fascinating to you as well with Professor Luke Van Loon in just a moment. I'm going to start with that. Also... Um, for many years, those of you who've been listening to my show know that I say the new evolutionary selection pressure is where you get your information from. I'm going to prove to you that that's correct because of something that happened, uh, with the show that I did yesterday with Dr. Horowitz about the two peer reviewed studies on glutathione, uh, and how it protects the lungs, uh, from COVID-19 destruction. It's been taken down from some of the social media platforms and so I'm telling you, where you get your information from, information from is really critical today because it means the difference between life and death. Uh, before we get started, I have to thank my title sponsor, which is uh, Legendary Foods. The website is eatlegendary.com. The code is SHR for 10% off the entire purchase of anything you buy there. And remember, their nut butters are GMO-free, gluten-free, uh, no added sugar, and le- I mean less sugar than any of the other nut butters out there that taste this good, uh, but also don't forget their uh, tasty pastry, which is a uh, type of pop tart, if you will, uh, with nine grams of protein and less than one gram of sugar. Show them some love; they make this show possible. Eat legendary, eatlegendary dot com is the place to go. And now I'm going to welcome my guest here. Just one second. And I got to turn my, there we go. Here we go. Sorry about that. How you doing, Professor Van Loon? How are you? I'm fine. Great. Thank thanks you. for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. You know, I've actually heard your name a lot, uh, often, uh, especially in the area of nutritional research. And, um, you know, I, I hear a, a lot of authors publishing lots of good work, but I never, I'm so fascinated about your study today, but also previous work you've done because of the the uh, extent that you go to to actually understand what protein does in the body once we consume it. So before we even get started, you have to explain the process of how you organize your studies to follow protein into the body. It's fascinating. So what you can do to measure protein synthesis in the hum- in a human setting, is to infuse uh, stable isotope-labeled amino acids intravenously, and then they get incorporated in your muscle, and you take muscle biopsies, and then you measure the incorporation rate. But that bypasses the whole process of eating, digestion, and absorption. So we would like to not only infuse traces intravenously, but we would also like those traces to be incorporated in the protein you consume. But, of course, you can't purchase any protein with labeled amino acids. 
So about 15 years ago, we decided to make them ourselves. So although I'm a human physiologist, we started to infuse cows, so actual uh, Holstein milk cows, with labeled amino acids, a shitload of tracer, almost 40,000 euros worth of tracer in a cow. Wow. In the hope the cow, that the cow would actually include those amino acids in its milk. And so we milk the cow, we extract the proteins, and we use that protein in vivo in human studies in order to assess digestion because as soon as we ingest the protein, the digestion can be followed simply by measuring the appearance rate of the labeled amino acids in the circulation and then the incorporation in muscle. So we can show basically after two hours of eating 20 grams of protein that your muscle contains the full amino acids that were once part of the cow and once part of the milk. So that basically your mom was right. You are what you eat. <laughs> I know. And it's funny because you said, how much money have you spent now in research just to prove that our mothers were right about a lot of these things? It's funny. Yeah, that's a lot of, lot of, lot of money to prove that your mom was uh, clinically proven right. Right. That's fascinating. So why this particular study? Uh, what studies have been done in the past? that required you to look at this because you looking at we, we we've done a lot of research on the effects of resistance training and post-workout protein and carbohydrate consumption and its ability to influence the protein synthetic response but this one was was on endurance exercise has this been looked at before so we did a few studies with of course you start doing studies with resistance type exercise uh, because the main thing is to stimulate protein synthesis to gain more muscle. And we looked at the types of protein, the amount of protein, different uh, versions of protein, um, whole foods. And then at some point you think like, okay, we've got this down. What's next? A lot of people, of course, also do endurance type exercise. People that do endurance exercise don't get necessarily bigger. At least that's generally not what they aim for. But, of course, the muscle also reconditions to endurance-type exercise. And, obviously, that also uh, requires protein because rescheduling, remodeling your muscle to look more like an endurance athlete also requires protein. Mm, And there's not a lot of studies that look at that process. That's interesting. You know, we don't think about it that way, right? We see – but the musculature of an endurance athlete – is specifically designed by their training, but it requires muscle remodeling, which means that protein is being turned over and 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 reestablished. The synthetic response is happening, but we don't think of the synthetic response unless the muscle gets bigger. That's fascinating. I never thought about it. That so, way. what you need to need to establish is that, for example, an endurance athlete that weighs about sixty or sixty-five kilograms, or a bodybuilder that weighs about a hundred kilograms. They both, after exercise, they have a similar muscle protein synthetic response. But in one, it actually leads to a bigger guy. And in the other person, it leads to a a higher quality muscle, if you may. So all that adaptation requires remodeling of the muscle. And that, so high protein synthesis after exercise resembles remodeling, not necessarily muscle accretion. Right. Even you and me sitting here, we have a protein synthesis every day of about 1% to 2%. So our muscle, even if we don't do exercise, gets remodeled every three months. 
turnover rate of muscle is 1% to 2% per day. So in 50 to 100 days, you have completely remodeled your muscle. Wow. That's and you will, only, you will only realize that as soon as you stop eating or you actually uh, lie down in bed and you don't move anymore. Then you'll see that you need anabolic stimuli on a daily basis in order simply to maintain your muscle. So it's all about main- maintenance and reconditioning is only a very small top on top of maintenance. So uh, I'm fascinated by this whole uh, uh, amino acid labeling process. So uh, uh, of, was there a way to establish the percentage of amino acids that were given to the cows and then produced in their milk and then given to the – was there a ratio to say, yeah, 100% of the amino acids came out of the milk and were given and, and found their way in muscle? No, I, I wish – I mean, we're, we're diverting, of course, now from the studies, but we'll definitely come back to the studies. But So when we started to in, infuse those cows with labeled amino acids – um, we were afraid that we were not going to see any of the amino acids in the milk because, of course, we had to find sponsors for the study. But spending 40,000 euros worth of tracer in a cow and then telling them that you didn't find anything is not going to make any friends. But in the end, we actually found about 25% of the labeled amino acids that were infused back into the milk. So it's saying, it's, what, what, did you biopsy cow muscle to see if the rest of it was in their muscles? Uh, funny enough, we actually buy, buy at some point. Um, now I have to tell you the story that, of course, I'm Dutch. So if you actually get only 10,000 euros worth of tracer back in the milk, and there's still 30,000 euros of tracer in the cow, and you're cheap as a Dutchman, you want to see those 30,000 euros back. So we butchered the cow. Of course. Of course. And we sampled every tissue from intestine to liver to bone to muscle, and that already shows you the turnover rate of all these organs. But funny enough, we also used the meat, which was, of course, not as highly labeled as the milk, but we used the meat in a study to show you that even mastication, chewing, is an important factor in driving the anabolic response to feeding. So we gave some elderly men steaks from that same cow, or the same steaks, but put it in a meat grinder. Chopped meat, yeah. Chopping. And so when you put it in a meat grinder, you actually see a more rapid digestion and absorption and also a tendency of a greater muscle protein synthetic response. And then if you go back to the literature, it actually makes sense. There were already studies in the 60s showing that older people that still have their teeth actually also have the muscle. Mm, fascinating. And you know, oh, again. and you just validated something I just said three weeks ago on this show. I prefer ground beef over steak because I feel like it's already been chewed once, and now I'm going to chew it again. So I, I believe in my heart that I'm going to get more nutrient value from eating ground beef. And basically, what you just said was kind of it supports my my theory. Uh, think, I mean, a lot of people are always, when they, when they hear processing, they think it's always something bad, processing of food. Right. But think about tribes where the old ladies are chewing the foods for the elderly people in the tribe that can't digest pretty well. So actually the pre-chewing is something that makes complete sense. I'm not, I'm not saying that I need somebody else to start chewing my meat for me, but I mean, for the, for the, for the frail elderly, for example, who don't have the teeth. It's an essential thing. 
That's fascinating. Okay, so talk about the methods of this particular study. What exactly did you do? How was this study uh, uh, prepared? So in this study, we actually used that intrinsically labeled protein uh, procedure. So we had young guys perform endurance-type exercise, and they were given uh, three different dosages of protein, uh, 0, 15, 30, 45 grams. And then we assessed the digestion and absorption rate, how much of that protein becomes available in the circulation, and to what extent does it stimulate muscle protein synthesis, both myofibular, so the contractile, the contractile proteins, as well as the mitochondrial proteins in muscle over a number of hours during recovery from endurance-type exercise. And was the requisite dose to get the, the greatest uh, protein synthetic response, the one that we have been talking about forever, and that is the, the, the three gram of leucine dose, did that play out true in your, in your research? Yes. Uh, so always estimations are between two and three grams of leucine. But of course, leucine is a very important stimulus to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. But after doing recovery from exercise, the leucine trigger is not that important because the muscle activity itself is already a very strong anabolic stimulus. So the availability of building blocks is much more important. So muscles protein synthesis is stimulated, but if you don't have all the building blocks for the protein to be assembled, then you have a problem. So the number of essential amino acids mm. and the rate at which they are provided during recovery from exercise is actually more important than only the amount of leucine. Because with only leucine, you can, may stimulate protein synthesis for an hour or so, but then nothing happens. Anymore. See, and th this is funny. So, so for, for over a decade, I've been saying BCAAs are a waste of time. EAAs are more important. And the analogy I always gave on the show, because I'm not a doctor, I'm a simple person. I said, you know, BCAAs are like calling all the bricklayers to work, but not giving them any mortar or bricks. They need the bricks and mortar. Otherwise, you have them standing around building nothing. And so EAAs, so what you're saying is the the... It's while leucine may be like the whistleblowing for everyone to come to work, all these other amino acids are what really stimulate the, pro the process. Yes, they facilitate everything. And it's not only the indispensable amino acids, because we always have terms like dispensable and indispensable amino acids. But the rate at which our body can actually produce some of the amino acids is by far not enough to sustain the use during recovery of exercise. So basically, you need a full assortment of all the amino acids to support the increase in muscle protein synthesis during recovery from exercise. So what kind of response did you see from... So, so this was a graded uh, dosage. So did you see uh, an expected linear reduction in response with the lower dose, or was there some sort of magic curve that you found? Now, first of all, we saw that about 70 to 75 percent of all the protein becomes available the first six hours of following due recovery from exercise. So it's not like if you take a higher dose, less comes in, or a low dose, less comes in. Um, basically, in all doses, a similar amount, relative amounts came in. So that was the important, the first important factor. If you give more, more is actually released in the circulation. The amount of 30 grams 
significantly increased the myofibrillar protein synthesis rate. So the synthesis rate of the myofibrillar, the contractile protein. The um, 45 gram did not result in a further increase in myofibrillar protein synthesis. So 30 seems to be the optimal. If we plot it out, you can actually say 0.49 grams per kilogram body weight, which is about 30 grams in these guys, which roll between 70, around 70 kilograms. Uh, so a lot of people will extrapolate that statement as you don't need more than 30 grams of protein per sitting uh, because we, we, we've established that that the pulsatile nature of of eating protein and then letting it wear off and that eating pro we know that that because even autophagy plays a very very large role in the protein synthetic response contrary to what we thought years ago but a lot of people will interpret that statement as you just need 30 grams of per meal and if you're only eating five meals a day you know it's 150 grams of protein and if you're a big guy that may not be enough so what do you say to people that say, oh, why would I want more than 30 grams of protein if I'm not having a greater protein synthetic response? So there's no, to me, there's no reason to eat more than 30 grams of protein because it is sufficient to maximize the response. And if you have five meals, as an, I mean, I have to say, if you're a really active athlete and you consume four to five meals a day with 30 grams, you already have an enormous amount of protein which is well beyond the requirements that you have in order to maintain muscle. So basically it is enough for resistance type exercise. We know that 20 grams is enough to maximize post-exercise muscle protein synthesis rates. Well, if that's the case, then why can't a bodybuilder become a 300 pound bodybuilder at just 150 grams of protein a day? That protein has to be used for other things besides Protein yeah, synthesis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two things. Uh, one is the exception of athletes that do a lot of stuff that is not natural. We don't know what happens if you use huge amounts of uh, drugs, whether that actually has an effect on your metabolism, makes you less um, efficient with using protein. That's mm -hmm. one. Of course, there's always the effect that adding protein, at some point, a little more doesn't make that much of a difference anymore. So uh, the law of less uh, greater achieve of improvements. But the other thing is adjustment. The body adjusts to a high protein intake. I got a lot of people that say the proof in the pudding that I need so much protein is that when I quit eating all that protein, I start losing muscle. Mm -hmm. But that's not the proof. That is the proof that your body has adapted to a very high protein intake. We know that protein, you know those people that take a huge amount of supplements, you smell them as soon as, the, as soon as they come into the room. Right. They burn, they oxidize protein continuously. As soon as they stop eating all that protein, the body will still continue oxidizing a lot and they might lose muscle. Yeah, because if the body wants it, the body's going to take it from muscle because it still wants exactly. it. Exactly, but that doesn't mean that they don't need it. That doesn't mean that they need it. Mm -hmm. They got adjusted to it. Interesting. So the body is much smarter than we think. I mean, um, there's people that, that survive on very low protein intake diets, and they still look normal. Theoretically, that would not be possible if you have a certain turnover rate. Yeah. But we've already, for example, one, one example. We can't do studies where we put people on a low protein intake diet for months. But we've done a study on two weeks 
putting them on a low protein diet, 0.7, versus 1.5. Now, the interesting thing is that over the first few hours after exercise, your intestine takes about 50% of the protein. So only 50% of the protein is released in the circulation. About 50% is either not digested yet, but also retained in the gut, used for turnover of the gut. So a large portion of your meal is used for gut turnover, Mm -hmm. intestinal turnover. Mm -hmm. If you put somebody two weeks on a low-protein intake diet, the gut actually takes less protein. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've shown. So it seems that the body is so smart that all these organs are communicating that the muscle and organs say, hey, intestine, don't be so greedy because we're suffering here at the back. And then the intestine says, okay, guys, I'll take less. There's more for you guys. So there's a lot more going on than we know. You know, that, and that, that actually substantiates a theory that I've had for a long time that I believe is from evolution. And that is my, my, my theory of abundance and scarcity. You know, when things are abundant, the body uses them up. Um, the first time I recognized this was a study that was written about uh, omega-3 fatty acid con- consumption. If you take the same amount of fish oil every day for weeks and months, the body starts to use these valuable fatty acids as an energy substrate. But if you consume these more the way you would have fish, like you have one big fish meal twice a week, more of the amino the uh, uh, omega threes are stored in fat cells and not used for energy substrates. So the body knows. The body goes, "Oh, we get this every day. We can burn it up." Or all of a sudden, if it's scarce, the body goes, "Oh, we're not getting a lot of this. We have to conserve." So th- th- that speaks to that whole evolutionary edict of of scarcity and, and uh, availability. And that's also why the discussion on the total requirements of protein is not that relevant if you don't take into account both the quality of the protein, but also the distribution throughout the day. Because if you consume 70% of your protein in one big dinner at night, you're actually oxidizing a lot of that protein. And that's not necessarily what you want. Interesting. Which, So I, I don't want to get off the track, but I have to ask you, so time-restricted feeding is all the rage today intermittent fasting, whatever you want to call it. And people are having narrower and narrower windows of eating. So there are people who fast for 20 hours and they eat for four. What you're saying is that type of approach may backfire. Um, It is an approach that I would definitely, I think it's a very effective way to lose weight, especially for those people that, for example, if they start eating food only, say, between 12 and 6 or 10 and 4 or whatever, and they start fasting after that, for me, that will be a huge effect because I probably consume 70% of my food after 7 or 8 o'clock at night right. when I suddenly start, start munching everything that I can get my hands on. Right. So it's a very efficient way to lose weight, and for that, it's, it's perfect. But it's certainly not something I would advise for athletes trying to gain a lot of weight, muscle, or for elderly people trying to maintain their weight. Um, so, yes, I think it's not, it's not certainly not good for everybody. What role did carbohydrate consumption play in this? We know that, um, we know that uh, carbohydrates have the ability to help shuttle nutrients, that, but did carbohydrate consumption along with protein play any role at all? 
No, we, we've done uh, studies after endurance exercise and also after resistance exercise and also without exercise with protein, different amounts of protein with different amounts of carbohydrates. And the carbohydrates don't do anything, at least not for protein synthesis. Of course, for an athlete that also wants to replete its glycogen stores, it's important. But if you're only looking at the anabolic response to feeding, uh, really our lab, but also other labs have shown the same thing, that carbohydrates do not contribute to this post-exercise muscle protein synthesis. Some suggest that it's the increase in insulin after carbohydrate ingestion that does the trick or helps out, but you only need a very minor increase of insulin up to a rate of 15 to 20 microunits per mil, which is already achieved with 20 grams of protein. So really, you don't need those weight gainers. It's just a really um, expensive way of buying your protein because the stuff costs about the same, but you actually get very inexpensive carbohydrates in your protein supplements. Right. Uh, so, so uh, Jeff Clifton says, how how does time after training play a role in the synthesis post workout? Since you said the anabolic window, and we how long is the anabolic window truly, and 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 how important is it? When do you have to start eating? So this is this is always the most difficult. This is a study we've done that I think nobody reads and nobody understands, and I find it very difficult to explain. Um, but we actually looked at the anabolic response to feeding in the morning after performing exercise the evening before. Now, your response to breakfast in the morning is still greater when you've performed exercise the evening before. And we could really show this. And this has been shown up to even 48 hours. So the increased sensitivity of the muscle to protein ingestion is a long-lasting effect that actually wears off in about 20, 48 hours. Of course, likely depends on the amount of muscle, the intensity of the workout, etc. But it's a long-lasting, there's a long window of opportunity. Yeah, and now, I'm sorry, go, go. So we did the same thing, and we provided people with merely 60 grams of protein prior to sleep. And I thought if you give a lot of protein immediately after exercise maybe your response the next day will be minimized. That was not the case. So I wanted to show that the total amount of protein is more important than the speed at which it's given. But this study actually showed the opposite, that you have a time frame, the first 12 hours, where more protein is also more gain. Whether that backfires 48 hours later, I don't know. But the first 12 hours... If you ingest more protein, you get a greater response. And, then, you know, so for decades, I've trained first thing in the morning because my belief is every meal I eat after that is going to be partitioned more to muscle gains. And it sounds like that's probably a, 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 if someone is really conscious about adding muscle, they should train first thing in the morning and then eat every so many hours throughout the day. Yes, but a lot of people work out in the evenings, and I think at least in, in all of most people work out after work. And in that case, it's always very smart to take some protein or take your meal after your training session. But if people train, for example, work out from 8 to 10, and they come home, we always advise them, actually, to take some protein prior to sleep. And this is also an interesting study because we didn't start doing this in athletes. We started doing this in older people. Uh, I work in a hospital, so we work a lot with elderly that are underfed in the hospital. 
and they generally do not consume any protein from dinner to all the way breakfast in the morning. And if you're actually a risk group for losing a lot of muscle, that is not a smart thing. So uh, I'm not sure whether you're actually waiting for a commercial break. <laughs> well, no, no, we, we can take it as long as you want. And actually, this kind of speaks to Jeff Clifton's other question. I was going to ask you, is it true that as we get older, we have more trouble uh, with the protein synthetic response to, to dietary protein? Or is it that we just don't eat enough protein when we get older? No, we become, we become anabolically resistant. And so what we did with these older guys, and that was really funny, is we thought like, hey, if they ingest some protein prior to sleep, are they going to benefit from it? But then the first question you get is, does our gastrointestinal tract work when we sleep? And how do you study that? Because how can you feed people while they are sleeping? <laughs> so what we did is actually we got our best subjects, all the people, they, can, they actually call us every so many times and they say, like, when can I come back for, for, for a study? Because I love doing studies with you guys, even though we take muscle biopsy and do the most horrible things to them. So we gave them a nasogastric tube down the nose in the gut, right. took a biopsy from the leg, made them sleep in the hospital. At 2 o'clock at, at night, we tiptoed into the lab, put 40 grams of intrinsically labeled protein in their stomachs by the nasogastric tube, I woke him up the next morning at 7 o'clock with a muscle biopsy. Mm. Now, what we saw is while they were sleeping, the protein was properly digested, even better than throughout the day, and overnight they had stimulated muscle protein synthesis. So that study was, was published as a proof of principle that it's smart to actually feed people prior to sleep as an extra meal, what athletes already have been doing for years, but in order for older people to maintain muscle while they're in the hospital. Okay. When that was published, I got a lot of coaches calling me where they could get nasogastric tubes. <laughs> that's but funny. that's not what I meant because you can just eat something before going to yeah, sleep. Yeah, like, like what we've always used cottage cheese or high casein uh, protein because it coagulates in the stomach and it stays around longer and it digests slower. And so that's what people have always turned to. Uh, but but I want to throw something else at you. Um, when we come back from the break, one of the things that we've learned contributes to the development of Alzheimer's disease is the lack of brain autophagy that's stimulated by eating within three hours of going to bed. So just keep 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 that in mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that to you when we come back. Okay, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Superhuman Radio. I love beef. And if you love beef, listen up. I've discovered the best tasting beef in the world, and that's not an exaggeration, at Piedmontese.com. The Piedmontese breed is famous from Italy for being lean and unbelievably tender with half the fat and calories of traditional beef. Even typically tough cuts are tender when it comes from the Piedmontese cows. And for the first time ever, Piedmontese cows are being raised here in the USA. Get two free 10-ounce New York strips when you purchase $50 or more at Piedmontese.com with code SHR. Go to P-I-E-D-M-O-N-T-E-S-E dot com and use code SHR today. You will never eat any other type of beef ever again. 
New Mass Pro Synthogen X2 just upped its own legendary game. To distance itself even further from the rest of the pack, Synthogen X2 now has double the key active ingredients. If you've ever wondered what steroid-like recovery feels like, Synthogen X2 delivers. See why others compare it favorably to powerful bodybuilding drugs at Synthogen.com. Mass Pro Synthogen. When you train with it, you'll gain with it. Are you still on the fence about Body Protection Complex BPC Oral from DrSeeds.com? Listen to Maggie Kuhn, one of the owners of the C-Bus Lifting Company, Jim, in Columbus, Ohio. I had been having some nagging tendon issues that weren't injuries, just, just things that were annoying. You know, I'm 58 years old, so just older tendon kind of issues. For us powerlifters, you know, we really don't stop training when we have just nagging issues. We just kind of keep pushing through. And I started the BPC. What I noticed was I was doing and some heavy tricep stuff that um, that would have killed me um, before when I had an elbow problem, and I was able to do this with literally no pain at all. Go to drseeds.com, D-R-S-E-E-D-S.com. Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your bottle of BPC, Body Protection Complex, today. Hey, this is Carl. For 14 years, you've heard me talk about Can-C eye drops, and they being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at now 61 years old. But I regularly get emails and messages from people who've been using Can-C and having some amazing results. Recently, I got an email from a fellow named Chad, who, because he was on dexamethasone eye drops for over six months, developed a cataract. Can-see eye drops actually reduced my cataract to the point where even my doctor has a hard time finding it. I will never stop using Can-see eye drops twice a day. I've been using them since 2008, he says. And you should be too. There is no better way to keep your eyes healthy and seeing clearly than Can-see eye drops. Go to Wise Choice medicine.com today and get on board and we will both be looking into the future with very clear vision you've heard me talk about the chill pill on the show and how effective it is at helping people who suffer from social anxiety or sometimes when you just want to take the edge off uh, to a long stressful day well listen to this story from dylan gutro definitely takes anxiety away which i have a long history of having started out at two milligrams a day of Xanax. That was at eight years old. And so I stopped using benzos three years ago. Extremely difficult. Yeah, so I spent about three years trying to find anything and everything I could that would be healthy for me um, to help with anxiety. Because I'm talking, you know, full, full out panic attack. The, the chill pill was the first thing that I've found that actually in the middle of a panic attack I can take and it definitely uh, subsides. Go to DrSeeds.com. That's D-R-Seeds.com. R-S-E-E-D-S.com. Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your first bottle of the chill pill. Check it out. I promise this is one supplement that delivers. Do you remember those delicious toaster pastries you had when you were a kid? You know, the rectangular sugar-filled snacks? Well, guess what? Legendary Foods has just made low-carb toaster pastry. This is the first of its kind, and honestly, these things are amazing. They have three to four net carb, less than one gram of sugar, and nine grams of protein. You can eat them right out of the wrapper or lightly toast them. The only question is, which flavor? Strawberry or brown sugar cinnamon? They're available at eatlegendary.com and Amazon. This is the Superhuman Channel, where we use oxygen for the power of good. Welcome back. Whoop, I got too close to the microphone. I keep wanting to make out with the microphone. I got to forget. I keep forgetting to back up. My voice is so loud, Professor Van Loon, that... I usually overdrive the microphone and no one can hear what I'm saying. So I have to keep reminding myself, don't kiss the microphone. 
This is fascinating. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I've, I've heard about you for a long time, but I really have a great appreciation for the painstaking steps you take to eliminate the possibility of assumptions, which are very dangerous in, in science. And I have a great appreciation for your work. I really do. Uh, real quick, I got to acknowledge a couple people. Tommy D said, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Uh, I can't see who this person is, but they, uh, because they're, oh, that's got to be Utam. If it says Super Radio, happy birthday, Carl. That's got to be Utam in, uh, in India. Uh, Patrick Rogers, a big fan of the show, says, great information. Uh, so does Samurai Jack, who is watching live on YouTube. Thank you very much for your comments. So um, I've had the great fortune to interview the most brilliant minds uh, I, I'm, I'm basically a chimpanzee in front of a microphone. I get smart people on the show, and they, and they make me look interesting. And one of the guys that I, I interviewed twice so far, uh, starting in 2014, is Dr. Dale Bredesen. Dr. Bredesen is a UCLA uh, physician and, and professor who wrote the book An End to Alzheimer's. And, one of the, and, and his approach to – and he really is curing people of Alzheimer's, but he can't say that because – you can't say you cure anything today unless you're a pharmaceutical company. And so he takes a multi-pronged lifestyle approach and gets people who can't remember anything back into their normal lives. One of the things that he requires, he's very, very steadfast about this, is a three-hour window from the last meal to when you go to sleep. And the reason for this is there's a large body of evidence that uh, when your body is digesting food at night, it's not doing other things that are more maintenance-related, including autophagy in the brain that cleans up plaque and misfolded proteins and all this sort of stuff. So what you're talking about here, eating right before bed or even during sleep, is probably okay for someone who at all costs wants to build muscle as an athlete and is relatively young. But old people... Uh, what would you say to, to research that says, well, eating right before bed isn't the greatest idea in the world for people who are already perhaps metabolically uh, deranged, let's say? So basically, we, we, we got that question a lot. Uh, I have not found any evidence that eating a meal prior to sleep, and I'm not saying while well, eating while you're lying in bed, but between dinner and, and going to sleep, that that has any negative side effects. Um, so far, there's no literature to show that. But the only thing that we do is, for example, if you get your meal in the hospital, we know, for example, in the hospital that all people, for example, our hospital is a very modern hospital. We have great meals. We have great uh, nurses, uh, great uh, nutrition uh, support team. But the people actually get 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram one hours per day which is low because if you look at guidelines for people recovering from, for example, knee or hip surgery, it's generally they advise between 1.2 to even up to 1.5 grams per kilogram body mass per day, similar to an athlete, basically. Right. right. So they consume 0.8 or they get 0.8. So most of these studies, they, they register what patients get, what they are provided with, but that's not necessarily... You still have full and everything is taken away at some point. So we had somebody sit in the hospital and measure not only what they get, but also what they really consume. Mm. 
and healthy people that come into the hospital for a new knee or a new hip. So elective hip and knee surgery, all the people that still want to go skiing with their grandchildren with a new knee, they consume only 0.5 grams of protein per kilogram body mass per day. That is not going to support their recovery. Right. And we know this. So if they don't consume any protein between 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening to all the way the next morning at 9 o'clock, then they are in a deficit. And that's why we think another meal between dinner and going to sleep, a protein-rich snack, not a huge three-course meal, Mm -hmm. but a protein-rich snack would benefit the recovery of all these musculoskeletal tissues. Interesting. And that is something that we're now actually looking for. And basically, it's what everybody does because who doesn't eat after 6 o'clock in the evening? I don't know many people that don't have any snack anymore. I, I don't. I don't I, I, actually, 6 p.m. is my cutoff. I, I'm done eating by 6.30, and I don't eat again until the next morning or post-workout because I, I've been using time-restricted feeding. But I'm not convinced it's the best thing for me any longer. Um, I'm starting to come around and think, you know, I don't know that it makes me feel great, uh, time-restricted feeding. And I'm actually starting to look at adapting more of a traditional bodybuilding diet. First meal, go to the gym and train, post-workout meal, and then a meal every two and a half to three hours. And, 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 you know... This interview has changed my mind. I'm a big protein consumer. I consume on an average day 300 grams of protein. And when I and I'm not training right now, and when I'm training I consume more like 400. I eat a pound of animal flesh 3 times in 3 meals and then I eat other, you know, eggs in the morning. So I'm I'm consuming a lot of protein and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I think I'm going to give Professor Van Loon's approach a try. I think I'm going to cut back to maybe 30 or 40 grams of protein per sitting, try to lose some body fat at the same time and let my body adjust to this new protein threshold and see what happens. Maybe I'll feel a lot better too. Um, Also to come back to your suggestion or your talk about the brain. So we focus on muscle and somewhat tendons and, uh, and ligaments, but most of muscle. But recently we started to also measure turnover rates in all different tissues and actually, one study is, I never expected me to do a study like that. We worked with neurosurgeons in our hospital to measure the turnover of the human brain. So we have people with severe epilepsy, they get brain surgery. And a healthy brain is basically taken out. So they open up the skull, take the brain out. So what we actually did, we infused people prior to surgery with labeled amino acids. And we measured protein synthesis in the brain over the hours of surgery until, of course, that part of the brain is taken out. We actually showed that the brain has a huge turnover, which is much higher than ever anticipated because a lot of the old textbooks will tell you that the brain doesn't hardly has any turnover. But um, nowadays we know that nerve tissue also has a regenerative capacity. But the brain actually has a turnover, which is actually uh, twice to three times as high as the muscle. Wow. It's still much lower than the than than, than the liver right. or the pancreas right. or the intestine, but it's actually in between the muscle and these organs. That's fascinating. So so is so in that case, once again, more protein is better as you age. 
I'm not. I'm not. No, no. I'm not suggesting three, four hundred grams. But the average older person doesn't consume enough protein to begin with. No, no, no. I fully agree on that part. So if you're healthy and you're still active, you generally consume 1.1 grams per protein per kilogram body mass per day, and that is enough to maintain your muscle. It's not ideal if you're gaining muscle. Then more, maybe, maybe better if you want to gain muscle. But 1.1 is a very nice amount of protein to maintain your muscle and be in a steady state. But most elderly that become frail, they start exercising less, they start moving less, they become less independent, and then they start consuming less. And when they start consuming less energy, they also consume less protein. And then the first thing that happens is they become deficient in the amount of protein. And then they're somewhere at 0.8 grams per kilogram body mass per day. And then you actually start being better off if you combine it with protein supplementation. But of course, the best thing is not supplementing. The best thing is becoming more active and eating more. Right, right. So the first thing is, I mean, in in Europe, nobody actually knows Jack LaLanne. Um, but you probably remember him. Sure. I mean, I thought it was great that he actually, far be, before any publications, he said, exercise is king, nutrition is queen, and together you have a kingdom. I mean, you don't need more than that. Right. That's very accurate. I want to take our last commercial break, and when we come back, I want to go ahead and uh, discuss the conclusions of your research. We'll be right back with more. Stay tuned, please. Do you remember those delicious toaster pastries you had when you were a kid? You know, the rectangular sugar-filled snacks? Well, guess what? Legendary Foods has just made low-carb toaster pastry. This is the first of its kind, and honestly, these things are amazing. They have three to four net carb, less than one gram of sugar, and nine grams of protein. You can eat them right out of the wrapper or lightly toast them. The only question is, which flavor? Strawberry or brown sugar cinnamon? They're available at eatlegendary.com and Amazon. Are you still on the fence about Body Protection Complex BPC Oral from DrSeeds.com? Listen to Maggie Kuhn, one of the owners of the C-Bus Lifting Company, Jim, in Columbus, Ohio. I had been having some nagging tendon issues that weren't injuries, just, just things that were annoying. You know, I'm 58 years old, so just older tendon kind of issues. For us powerlifters, you know, we really don't stop training when we have just nagging issues. We just kind of keep pushing through. And I started the BPC. What I noticed was... I I was doing some heavy tricep stuff that um, that would have killed me um, before when I had an elbow problem, and I was able to do this with literally no pain at all. Go to drseeds.com, D-R-S-E-E-D-S.com. Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your bottle of BPC Body Protection Complex today. Quest Nutrition makes bars, cookies, chips, and pizzas out of complete dairy-based proteins. Our products minimize net carbs and sugar without sacrificing taste. Each delicious chocolate-flavored chip, cookie chunk, and crunchy crumble is custom-made to maintain Quest macros. It's time to enjoy foods that work for you, not against you. It's time to enjoy your Quest. Men and women, you've heard about hormone optimization. Do you feel like it's something you want to look into? RenewLifeRx.com is the place to start. Their doctors can help you with the solutions. RenewLifeRx.com has a simple process for lab work, consultation, and taking a deep dive into where your hormone levels can be improved. Superhuman 
Diamond Radio listeners get 30% off your initial lab work and consultation. Go to RenewLifeRx.com to schedule your no-obligation phone consultation today. Feel younger, get in better shape, and be more productive at RenewLifeRx.com. You've heard about blood flow restricted training since 2006 on SHR, but you're still on the fence. Well, here's the push. BFR is more effective at building muscle than anabolic steroids. That's right. I went there. But it's because it's the truth. My experience with the B-Strong blood flow restriction system is proof to me. And now I'm asking myself why I waited so long. You'll see undeniable changes in the targeted muscles in days and weeks like nothing you've ever tried before. I will never stop using them. Give B-Strong a try. Go to B-S-T-R-O-N-G.training forward slash super hyphen human and use code SHR for 10% off. Are you a fan of the low-carb lifestyle? Having trouble getting fat adapted on your keto diet? Feel like your digestion has stalled? Now there's Capex. Capex increases fat loss and energy on any low-carb, no-carb diet, all while improving digestion. Capex boosts AMPK and muscles by 52% and fat cells by 300%. Capex increases ATP in your liver by 22%, a key part of energy production, all while revving up the fat-burning hormone adiponectin by a whopping. 248%. Nothing works like Capex, and now you can get Capex for up to 42% off by going to kenergize.com slash SHR and choosing one of the purchase options and using the code SHR. That's K-E-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E dot com slash SHR and code SHR. This is the Superhuman Channel, doing reps with the weight of the world. Welcome back. We're talking with Professor Luke Van Loon about his recent study on endurance training and protein synthetic response of uh, pro- dietary protein. So let's just go ahead and, and sum up the conclusions from this particular study, please. So the first conclusion was that protein in different amounts during, during recovery from endurance type exercise is probably digested and absorbed with about 70 to 75% of the protein derived amino acids being released in the circulation. Um, 30 grams of protein was sufficient to maximize uh, contractile muscle protein synthesis rates. 45 grams did not lead to a greater uh, um, response. Um, This was for the contractile protein. For the mitochondrial protein synthesis, we did not see an increase in mitochondrial protein synthesis during that short recovery period of a few hours, and it didn't seem to be responsive to the protein. Now, this has been shown by other studies that likely the mitochondrial protein adaptation actually happens further down the road during recovery. So whether it's responsive to protein or not, we don't know, but it happens at a later stage. And those were the most important things. But what you do have to realize, because we use the intrinsic label protein, we could track where the protein actually ended up. And the protein-derived amino acids were incorporated in the contractile protein and were, of course, also seen in the mitochondrial protein because normal protein turnover um, does actually require the protein that you ingest, but it doesn't mean that the absolute rate is higher. So we see that all the protein that you ingest after exercise is actually used as building blocks for both myofibular as well as mitochondrial protein. So, you know, I've never really heard the discussion about mitochondrial protein before. Uh, you know, 
I've asked lots of different scientists who've been on the show about mitochondrial bio, biogenesis and turnover. Like how long does a mitochondria last? Does it have a, a, an apoptotic process where it, most mitochondria last this long? Uh, you know, like we know about red blood cells and stuff like that. But also um, how to influence uh, mitochondrial biogenesis that is going to improve both uh, function uh, and, and, and maybe even the size and number of, of mitochondria. What role does protein have in that process? So it's obvious that uh, when you ingest protein during recovery from exercise, you see an increase, a further increase in, in, my, in, in myofibrillar protein. But you don't seem to see that after the first few hours of recovery in mitochondrial protein. So obviously it suggests, and then we know this from molecular signaling, of course, that the mitochondrial protein gets reconditioned in a more longer time frame during recovery from, for example, endurance-type exercise. But of course, what we now know for mitochondrial proteins is, and mitochondria in itself, we always use them. I mean, I, I was taught as a student that there are these, these little starships floating around in a cell. But nowadays, we know that there isn't a single mitochondria. It's a mitochondrial network. Right. And so that network is constantly evolving and remodeling. And similar to the, to, to the myofibular proteins, so the actin and myosin, the contractile units, also the mitochondrial network is constantly remodeling. And for example, for an endurance athlete, that is a complete different remodeling than for the requirements of a resistance-type athlete or a sprinter. So and that remodeling resembles likely the increase in mitochondrial protein synthesis that you can see over time. Do you think that bodybuilders are right avoiding endurance exercise because, as we established in the beginning of the show, it's a different type of remodeling that takes place? If you, all you care about is get, building more lean uh, body mass and not the quality of your muscle, or does paying attention to the quality of the muscle by incorporating endurance training in give you something better? So uh, one of our uh, assistant professors is now doing a very interesting project where there are suggestions that, I mean, this is not for bodybuilders, but this is for older people, that it's important for older people first to build up more um, vascular networks, so more blood vessels in the muscle. So doing first a lot of uh, endurance-type work so that the vascular network is actually remobilized and that actually allows you to get greater muscle gains when you start resistance-type exercise. So this is the AIRCO project, where we're actually looking at first endurance training before you start doing resistance training. You know, it makes sense, right? If you're a farmer, right? You put the irrigation in first before you plant this crop. Otherwise, you have nothing to feed the crop. So th this is fascinating. Will you... Um, help us connect with, with your colleague to have uh, them on the show when this research is available? Yeah, no worries. Okay, I'll have Elisa reach out to you about that. Um, what do you want clinicians specifically, because we have a lot of clinicians that listen to the show, what do you want clinicians to take away from your most recent research? So from all the studies with the intrinsically labeled protein, and you said it very correctly, I don't like assumptions and algorithms and difficult uh, correlations. Uh, calculations with the intrinsically labeled protein you see you, what you see is what you get if there's more on the muscle more of the protein actually landed in the muscle now in short we see that about 10% of the protein that you ingest 
is converted to muscle during the first five hours after eating. So from 20 grams, about two grams is converted to muscle. If you are physically inactive, it's less. We actually see that the leg that is immobilized, we cast the leg, we see less of the protein being converted to muscle. If you're exercising, more of that protein is converted to muscle. So I've actually translated that for the general public in three very simple statements. You are what you just ate. When you become physically active, you are more of what you just ate. And if you become physically inactive, you are less of what you just ate. Now, this is two things. When you become more of what you just ate is the athlete, and he will actually take care that he has the right nutrition to maximize that effect. But for the people with disuse, COVID, immobilization, Mm -hmm. bed rest, inactivity, you're actually less of what you just ate. So basically, even if you eat, consume the same, you have a lesser response to it. You become anabolically resistant. So you actually have to eat more to get the same response. But the reality is that you're eating less. The only way of actually doing the, improving that is not only to eat more, but also exercise more. Because then you use more of what you get. There's a greater efficiency. So basically, this means for most physicians, don't feed people when they're lying in bed. Where's the TV in the hospital? In every hospital, wherever in the world, above the bed. Right. Wrong. Right. Where do people get their food? In bed. Wrong. Right. So you have to mobilize a little bit before they get the food because then more of the protein in the food will be converted to muscle. And that is essential for muscle maintenance in more clinically compromised populations. So um, the, the, one other thing that, that just piqued my interest. So the ratio you gave a moment ago, you know, uh, this percentage of what you eat, uh, protein goes into muscle. Does that happen every subsequent meal after uh, training or does it just happen that one meal and then it, it diminishes the longer you wait to eat again? Uh, we don't know. No. I mean, these are the only studies where we actually were able to do this because we have this intrinsically labeled protein. We take the muscle, we see how much is in there, and we assume then that that muscle is representative of orioskeletal muscle. So that's already a limitation, of course. Right. Um, how that would respond to the next meal and the next meal and the next meal, we don't know. Nowadays, we're using different techniques with deuterated water to look at protein synthesis over several days or several weeks. But that research is still um, relatively scarce compared to the acute responses. But, of course, you first want to know what happens after a single meal. Yeah, yeah. Then you want to know how that translates in the long term. Yeah. No, it's fascinating stuff. It's great stuff. And I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the show today. Thank you very much. And we'll we'll have you back as you have more research. And please uh, put – I'll have Elisa email you to get in touch with your colleague about that other study uh, that they're working on. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Van Loon. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to take one quick commercial break, and when we come back, I'm going to tell you something interesting that happened yesterday. And that is, uh, as many of you may know, I did an interview with uh, Dr. Richard Horowitz yesterday about glutathione supplementation for people with COVID-19 and how it can protect the lungs from being further damaged 
by the uh, pneumonia portion of, uh, of COVID-19. And these are both peer-reviewed studies. This is not like, you know, voodoo. These are both peer-reviewed studies in, in well-established uh, uh, medical journals. And for some reason, YouTube felt like it had to remove my video. And it's sad. It's very sad. And I'm going to tell you why it's sad when we come back. But the reality is that, uh, like I've said before, uh, where you get your information from is the new evolutionary selection pressure because it will affect how long you live or how soon you die. Stay tuned. Imagine if you had a digital twin, one that you could compare your own health and fitness outcomes to, one that showed you whether or not the things you're doing, food you're eating, or drinks you're drinking are actually working for you or against you. Well, now you can. The first ever advanced epigenetic saliva test that compares 20 million different data points of your DNA to help predict what is aging you faster or keeping you younger is being introduced to my audience at a 70% discount from the normal price. Go to seeds.md slash epigenetic dash test today to learn how to get your own digital twin that will help you take the steps to live longer and stay stronger. Don't wait because this is a limited time offer not available anywhere else. Once these tests are gone, they're gone. Again, go to seeds.md slash epigenetic dash test today to learn more. You've heard me talk about the chill pill on the show and how effective it is at helping people who suffer from social anxiety or sometimes when you just want to take the edge off uh, to a long, stressful day. Well, listen to this story from Dylan Goutreau. Definitely takes anxiety away, which I have a long history of having. Started out at two milligrams a day of Xanax. That was at eight years old. And so I stopped using benzos three years ago. Extremely difficult. Yeah, so I spent about three years trying to find anything and everything I could that would be healthy for me um, to help with anxiety. Because I'm talking, you know, full, full out panic attack. The the chill pill was the first thing that I found that actually in the middle of a panic attack I can take and it definitely uh, subsides. Go to DrSeeds.com. That's D. R-S-E-E-D-S.com. Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your first bottle of the chill pill. Check it out. I promise this is one supplement that delivers. Whether your goal is to build muscle or burn fat, you'll find everything you need at Redcon 1. Need help getting a good night's sleep? Try Fade Out or the most popular pre-workout supplement on the market today, Total War. Sign up for their new transformation challenge and win $10,000 or shop for apparel that people at the gym will know that you are serious about your training. Need a testosterone booster that works? Check out Boomstick. Whatever you need, you'll find the best quality supplements on the market at Redcon 1. Go to Redcon1.com. R-E-D-C-O-N, the number one dot com, or go to superhumanradio.net and click the Redcon 1 banner ad today. I love beef. And if you love beef, listen up. I've discovered the best tasting beef in the world, and that's not an exaggeration, at Piedmontese.com. The Piedmontese breed is famous from Italy for being lean and unbelievably tender with half the fat and calories of traditional beef. Even typically tough cuts are tender when it comes from the Piedmontese cows. And for the first time ever, Piedmontese cows are being raised here in the USA. Get two free 10-ounce New York strips when you 
purchase $50 or more at Piedmontese.com with code SHR. Go to P-I-E-D-M-O-N-T-E-S-E.com and use code SHR today. You will never eat any other type of beef ever again. Hey, this is Carl. For 14 years, you've heard me talk about Can-See Eye Drops, and they being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at now 61 years old. But I regularly get emails and messages from people who've been using Can-See and having some amazing results. Recently, I got an email from a fellow named Chad, who, because he was on dexamethasone eye drops for over six months, developed a cataract. Can-See Eye Drops actually reduced my cataract to the point where even my doctor has a hard time finding it. I will never stop using Can-See Eye Drops twice a day. I've been using them since 2008, he says. And you should be too. There is no better way to keep your eyes healthy and seeing clearly than can see eye drops. Go to wisechoicemedicine.com today and get on board and we will both be looking into the future with very clear vision. You're listening to the Superhuman Channel. We're ripped and we're ready. Welcome back. I'll be real brief, real brief. First of all, JL Scott says, uh, Carl, NPC and fitness community, we all miss you in Phoenix. I did live in Phoenix for a couple of years, actually, on and off, two years on and off. I was there for about five or six months. I left. I came back for about six or seven months. Um, thank you. And thank you for, uh, for watching today. So those of you who are actually watching on, uh, on YouTube, you'll notice that yesterday's show is gone. YouTube deemed that uh, a medical doctor uh, who has been trained in medicine and peer-reviewed research um, is not of value to the YouTube community. In fact, they told me in in an email that they had to remove it because I was discussing COVID-19 stuff. Now, there are plenty of things up there about COVID-19, ironically, right? Fauci, he's on YouTube. You know, all these purported experts who have literally led us down this path of nonsense. I mean, come on. I don't care who you are. You have to realize that all this stuff about COVID-19, it's like all of a sudden, just like that, it's gone. Oh, we got riots now. So we have, you know, you couldn't go to funerals. The, 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 The people in New York, the Jewish community in New York, they couldn't go to the funerals. But somehow rioters are okay and protesters are okay. I mean, this is a lot of malarkey to steal a term from Joe Biden, which is Irish for crap. It's so silly. But let's talk about real issues of saving lives. The interview that I did yesterday with Dr. Horowitz has the ability to literally save somebody's life if they are suffering, if they actually have uh, COVID-19. And they are suffering from one of the side effects, which is damage to the lungs. The use of glutathione, I'm looking for a comment that someone I want to, I want to read to you. The use of glutathione can actually stop them from damaging their lungs for the rest of their lives. Why is that harmful information? Why? We're not telling people to do anything risky. Glutathione, it's a supplement. It's a good supplement. There's a reason that there is a suppression on information out there. There there are people who want to control the information. Now, I wouldn't mind them controlling the information. I was going to read something from Joel Green, but I can't pull it up fast enough. So, Joel, I'm sorry, but Joel had a great quote on Facebook that sums this up. 
But there's a reason that people want to control the information. And I don't have any problem with people controlling the information if they know what they're friggin' talking about. But they've proven that they don't know what they're talking about. In fact, the science from the WHO that hydroxychloroquine was dangerous and bad, now we know that the scientists lied. But that was okay to promote on YouTube, I'm sure. Right? See, this is, this is why I've said on this show for almost a decade now. The new evolutionary selection pressure, it, it's not famine anymore. We have plenty of food. It's not ice age. It's not the threat of being eaten by saber-toothed tigers. No, we're comfy in our own homes. We got protection. The new evolutionary selection pressure is where you choose to get your information from. The information that you choose to apply to your life, the decisions about your life, the decisions about your health, the decisions about your children's health. If you're getting bad information, then you are going to be sick. Are you sick? Right now, are you you sick? Is it because of the information that you followed? That, oh, carbs should be 40%, 60% of your diet. Cereal grains should be 60% of your diet. Protein should be the smallest amount of your diet. Red meat is bad. Eggs are bad. Are you sick? Because if you are, it's absolutely from the choices you've made. And the choices you've made have been influenced by the information you've chosen to believe. And the information you've chosen to believe is being delivered to you by authorities who say, you can believe us because this is the truth. And like we are so short-sighted. We don't remember anything. We don't remember how we were lied to about tobacco. Oh, yeah. Forget that. We don't remember how we were lied to about Vioxx. Oh, yeah. Forget that. When are people going to wake up? When? And the truth of the matter is they can't wake up if companies like YouTube are taking down information that people should be able to listen to and make their own decisions. But someone someone said something interesting on that Facebook post where I posted the email from YouTube. They said, maybe YouTube is afraid that people are going to read it and do something harmful to themselves. I would buy that if I was saying to do something risky, but it's frigging glutathione. Doctors prescribe glutathione. They could go to their doctor and get it. It's a, a sulfur-based antioxidant that your body produces we talked about ways to help your body produce more. I'm telling you, man, it, it, what the scary thing that's going on today is the information is being controlled and hand-fed to people. And a lot of the information is nonsense. And we are thus making bad decisions that are causing bad health outcomes for the population. And so I'm telling you right now, open your eyes, open your ears, pay attention to everything. Be selective on what you choose to believe and what you choose to apply to your life. I'm not even saying everything I say is right. I say I'll provoke you to think and go search for your own because the truth of the matter is everything in life is individual. Your diet, the drugs you use, the lifestyle you lead, the exercises you choose, it's all individual. You can't do what I do. I don't want you to. I, don't, I may not be able to do what you do. If we don't have information to look at and go, that's not true for me, that's true for me. If we just get this one thing and we think that's all there is, 
then we are destined to make bad decisions. And that's exactly what the mainstream media and modern medicine wants you to do. They want to restrict your access to information so they remain the authorities and tell you what to do. So Rigo Vargas says, unfortunately, there's a narrative that needs to be followed. If you stray from the narrative, the censor police step in. By the way, happy birthday, brother. Thank you. It's exactly it. Free thought is no longer free. Free thought is being discouraged. Obey. Shut up and obey. Obey. Shut up and obey. I mean, this people right now are asking questions. Wait a minute. Like, I, I, Walmart is open, but... My neighborhood store isn't open? Like, why is that? Yes, why is that? Exactly. Why? People need to start asking questions, and you got to start, start, stop towing party lines. This has nothing to do with politics. This is about survival of the human species today. Choose your information, and, and choose it wisely. Don't just believe it because it comes from talking heads on the me, in the media, in the mainstream media. And don't think that Anthony Fauci or anybody else has your best interests at heart. They don't. They absolutely don't. Because the, the, the narrative changes almost daily. Surely we have to say, are these the best experts we have? Are these the best expert opinions we have? And if they are, and if they're being sincere, then they should step up and say, you know what? We're really not sure. We're going to tell you this, but we're really not sure that this is really what it is. But they don't do that. They say things... Uh, absolutely. And they say things with, with authority and they say, this is the way it is. And this is what you have to do. Remember the new evolutionary selection pressure, whether or not your genes are going to go on two, 300 years from now, the information you choose to live by. That's the truth. That's it for today. Uh, I'm off tomorrow. I'm celebrating my birthday tomorrow. Thank you for all of you who wish me happy birthday. I can't even get to all of you, but it's, it's a wonderful feeling. Uh, to have so many people uh, be well-wishers. But Monday, we have great shows, so tune in next week. Please share the show. Uh, always share the show. Help people. Like I said, I'm not an authority. I'm not a guru. I'm not an expert. I'm just like you. I'm in search of the truth, too. That's all there is to it. All right, we'll see you Monday. Uh, thanks for being here today. <laughs>